0: Does it even matter anymore?
1: Good question. Does it? anything? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off
0: my chair. <laughs> and I'm wondering how i get down the stairs. Clowns to the left me to the
2: right here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck From
1: Pacifica in the Radio in Los Angeles this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast and Queso in Cottage Grove. in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui Hawaii on KAKU, In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, in Palinville, New York on WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day here on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me and perhaps only me from bradblog.com thank you very much for joining us today coming up we will be joined by the great philadelphia daily news columnist will bunch to uh discuss the question does anything even matter anymore Good question, Uh, but does it really even matter what his answer is?
2: (laughs) Well, I guess when you start with that question, that does lead to that potential answer.
1: We will discuss that uh, ahead in this age of Trump. Also, that uh, voice you heard was Desiree Doyen, our lovely producer, my co-host on the Green News Report, of which... We have our latest coming later in the show.
2: Yes, another one waiting for you in the bin.
1: In the bin. But first, I want to hit a couple of things uh, quickly here before Will joins us. A public service announcement for listeners in New York and California. You can still sign up for an Affordable Health Care Act or Obamacare health plan and potentially save a lot of money, but uh, the hours are very short for you to do that, but you still have time if you live in California or uh, or New York. I know we have a lot of listeners in both places. Despite Donald Trump's claims that Obamacare is dead, his uh, his cutting of the enroll open enrollment period on the federal healthcare.gov exchange, cutting it in half and withdrawing funding to advertise any of it. Despite all of that, the Affordable Care Act is alive and well. Thank you.
2: Despite his best efforts.
1: Despite his best efforts, at least for now, after what AP describes as better than expected enrollment under the health care law during the open enrollment season. Enrollment was especially robust, they say, in many of the states that operate their own insurance marketplaces, where enrollment periods were longer than on the federal exchange and promotional budgets were beefed up. Strong signups came despite Republican attacks against the law and Donald Trump's administration taking several steps to undermine it. California, Colorado, Connecticut, Idaho, Maryland, New York, Vermont and other states with their own exchanges saw enrollment approach or surpass 2017 levels. Minnesota, for example, their health insurance exchange set a record for private plans with an enrollment period that was actually more than two weeks shorter than it was in 2017. California's State Exchange, which is the nation's largest, has reported more than one point two million renewals for 2018 and an additional three hundred and forty two thousand new customers. Its 2018 enrollment period does not end, however, until Wednesday, Wednesday at midnight, Wednesday, January 31 at midnight, as does New York. So you still have time if you haven't signed up yet or you want to check if there's a better plan out there. There are still a lot of uh, price breaks available, ironically enough, thanks to Donald Trump actually killing one of the mandated government subsidies uh, uh, to healthcare companies. So you can still do that in New York and California until Wednesday at midnight. Get her done. Uh, more on this year's uh, rather amazing sign up levels, given all that we're dealing with uh, in the days ahead, I suspect. Uh, Meanwhile, dealing, uh, giving all that we are dealing with right now, uh, the economy is doing well, at least for some, though not as well as it was under President Obama. At least if job creation is the particular yardstick you use, more jobs were created each year during Obama's presidency since 2010 then under Donald Trump's first year in office. Though you wouldn't know it if you listened to uh, Trump falsely sing his own praises. For now, though, Americans still overwhelmingly attribute whatever strength they see in the economy to President Obama's policies. Just 38% of Americans in an ABC News Washington Post poll released one week ago said that the Trump administration deserved a great deal or good amount of credit for the country's economic situation, just 38%.
2: Well, the same 38% that support him whenever he does.
1: True. By contrast, 50% of participants said that the Obama administration deserves the, uh, a great deal or good amount of credit for what 58% of Americans said was an economy in good or excellent shape. That's uh, the most who have felt that way, by the way, in 17 years. Uh, but none of that has kept Donald Trump from taking credit for the economy, of course, himself, because, you know, that's what he does. On CNN over the weekend, a rapper, entrepreneur, and uh, most famously, I guess, Beyonce's husband, Jay-Z, was on Van Jones's new show, and he was... Uh, asked about his response to Trump's recent comments that Haiti and African uh, nations were blank hole countries. Jay-Z chose to take the high road and described Trump in uh, some quote sort of pain.
0: It's disappointing and it's hurtful. It really is hurtful more so like everyone feels anger. But, but after the anger, it's really hurtful because, like, you're like, looking down on a whole population of people. And you're so misinformed because these places have beautiful people and have beautiful everything. Yeah. Um, but on the other side, this has been going on. Yeah. This is how people talk. This is how they talk behind closed doors. Somewhere along his, his lineage, something happened to him. Something happened to yeah. him. Something happened to him, and he's in pain, and he's, like, expressing it in this sort of way.
1: Yeah, he is in some sort of pain. Well, that's uh, a
2: very generous way to put it. I, well,
1: it is, but I think it's true. And, of course, uh, despite J.C. Having, having taken the high road there in his comments, uh, pushing back against that against those pretty generous remarks uh, and uh, just coincidentally starting up yet another public fight with another person of color. Donald Trump tweeted in response to Jay-Z's remarks on Sunday morning, quote, Somebody please inform Jay-Z that because of my policies, black unemployment has just been reported to be at the lowest rate ever recorded. All in caps. So, you know, it's extra true. Well, uh, fact check, Mr. President, because, yes, facts do still matter, I think. As Washington Post reporter Philip Bump noted recently, Trump is wrong to take credit for something that he did not do. Bump writes, it's not as if black unemployment was 18 percent under Barack Obama. And as soon as Trump took office, it plummeted. Black employment has fallen fairly consistently from 2010 on forward, as did the rates for whites and Hispanics. From January to December of 2017, the unemployment rate among black Americans fell one percentage point. During the same period in 2016, it fell the same amount. In 2015, it fell 1.9 points. Almost two points, almost twice as much as it fell under Donald Trump last year. The prior year, 2014, it fell one and a half points. The year before that, it fell 1.8 points. Now, in CNN's coverage of the black unemployment rate, they also looked at unemployment rates for blacks versus whites in the U.S. and found uh, that, yes, it is true, black unemployment, along with Hispanic and everyone else's unemployment, is as low as it has been for many years. But African-American unemployment is still twice the rate that it is for white Americans, as it has also been for many years. But there was a, a... A note in this article that if I can digress for a second, uh, in this CNN coverage, they talked about Columbia, Missouri, and I was actually struck by the the last couple of paragraphs from their report on this, uh, talking about Columbia, Missouri, which currently has one of the lowest unemployment rates in the nation at just 2.5% overall, but black unemployment there is still far higher. In 2016, the last year for which Census Bureau data is available in, uh, in Columbia, African-American unemployment locally stood at 8%. Now, the city manager in Columbia, Missouri, would like to close that gap, but he apparently is having a tough time. Even with strong employment numbers in Columbia, very strong Uh, He says that uh, many are still living in poverty there. So he'd like to help change that. And one way, he says, would be to raise the minimum wage in Columbia, Missouri. But as it turns out, Missouri state law prevents that forces cities to keep the minimum wage at seven dollars and eighty five cents. So no matter what he would like to do, small local government, what he would like to do, he is not allowed to by the Republicans that control the state in Jefferson City. Well, so much for the free market, again, so much for the free market that Republicans pretend to believe in. They won't allow local jurisdictions who'd like to raise their standard of living for all residents in order to, uh, to, to increase the minimum wage in their town and float all boats, even when that local economy could almost surely handle it and benefit from it. But the uh, state politicians, the state Republicans, say no. Now, you might say, but Brad, government setting minimum wage rates is not the free market. Well, perhaps that is true. But as long as the benefits granted by the government uh, on the front end are considered by Republicans to be part of the so-called free market you know stuff like the tax breaks that are given to companies by government subsidies and 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 other incentives that localities offer businesses for opening up shop there if those government favors are considered part of the free market then i would think so as a town which w- wishes to raise the minimum wage for workers by mandate locally giving them a government subsidy of a sort just, uh, give, you know, giving the workers that subsidy of a sort, just as the businesses get to enjoy those subsidies. Has Missouri uh, put laws in place that bar cities from giving away incentives to businesses to move in? Of course not. Of course they haven't. They only, the only uh, laws they put in place in that regard bar lo- localities from raising wages on what their residents must be paid for their toil. Only that. So, yeah, that's not the free market. Uh, in any event, uh, as uh, Chicago Tribune columnist Steve Chapman— I just had to—that's a sidebar, but I had to get that in. Well, that's a good uh, point. The, uh, Steve Chapman over at the Chicago Trib uh, notes that Trump is the classic example of a man born on third base who thinks he hit a triple— When he brags of low unemployment on his watch, he neglects to mention that under his predecessor, the rate fell from a peak of 10 percent in 2009 to 4.8 percent. When Republicans claim the Dow Jones Industrial Average as vindication, they forget that it actually tripled under Obama. Inflation, which they predicted would run out of control, was actually cut in half during Obama's presidency. The 2.3% real gross domestic product, or GDP, growth that Trump can point to in 2017, yeah, we did have a rate of 2.3. That was better than the 2016 rate, but it was worse than what Obama recorded in 2014 and in 2015. Last year, the economy added just over two million jobs, which sounds good until you consider that it added even more in each of Obama's last four years. So, you know, fact checks. Chapman goes on to say, by two standards that Trump himself invoked on his way to the White House, he is failing. The first is the trade deficit, which has grown since he took office. The second is the budget deficit. Which had fallen from $1.4 trillion in Obama's first fiscal year to just $666 billion in his final year. Pretty much more than cut it in half. And now it's projected to rise from $440 billion this year to $1 trillion by 2020, thanks in no small part to the uh, huge tax cuts that Republicans and Donald Trump put in place. Donald Trump uh, boasted on Twitter last week, quote, "Tremendous investment by companies from all over the world being made in America. There has never been anything like it." Oh, really? From 2009 to 2016, new foreign direct investment more than doubled. Last year, under Trump, it declined. Chapman notes that Trump has yet to show he can produce any better results than Obama did. And unfortunately, the economy doesn't run on delusions. True, but maybe elections do. Elections, in fact, often do. Uh, you know, just something to keep in mind as Trump sings his own praises in his State of the Union address and as Republicans attempt to run in 2018 on an on an economy that they did not make, but they will take credit for anyway. I'd like to think that Democrats are not quite as dumb. Not uh, dumb enough at least to fall for the tsunami of economic propaganda that they are about to receive over the next nine or ten months before the midterm elections, but I don't really know. As I've often uh, been pointing out on this show how Republican supporters of Donald Trump are absolutely brain-addled at this point by years of propaganda, I also worry about the brain-addlement of many Democrats at this point. Case in point, a new poll came out last week from CNN finding that 54% of Democrats now give George W. Bush a favorable rating. George W. Bush, some 61% of Americans now give George W. Bush a favorable rating overall. That's up from just 33% when the former president left office. The rise in popularity comes entirely from Democrats and independents, the poll says. Some 54% of Democrats, a majority, now give George W. Bush a thumbs up compared to just 11% back in 2009 when he left office. It's kind of amazing to me. And whether it's by way of uh, comparison to Donald Trump, which is somewhat understandable, or they have just forgotten the unmitigated disaster of the George W. Bush presidency, disaster by virtually every measure that exists from endless wars, unfathomable death tolls. Over lies about WMD, to unprecedented increases in in the police and surveillance state, to the huge growth in wealth disparity between the rich and the middle class, to his then unprecedented failed response to natural disasters like Hurricane Katrina, to his oversight of the worst global economic meltdown since the Great Depression. Democrats have forgotten about that. A majority now approve of the job he did simply because Donald Trump being so intolerably worse than George W. Bush makes George W. Bush seem competent by comparison. Really? Yeah, apparently, really. On Saturday, Saturday Night Live over the weekend, uh, that new poll, it seems, resulted in the return of Will Farrell, who famously played George W. Bush on the show for years He returned with a message for the American people. I don't know if uh, you've seen the news, but according to a new poll, my approval rating is at an all-time high. That's right. Donnie Q. Trump came in, and suddenly I'm looking pretty sweet by comparison. At this rate, I might even end up on Mount Rushmore, right next to Washington, Lincoln, and
3: I want to say Kensington. I don't know, but the point is... I'm suddenly popular AF.
2: (laughs) And uh, a lot of people are saying, man, I wish George W. Bush was still our president right about now. So I just wanted to address my fellow
1: Americans tonight and remind you guys that I was really bad. Yes, you were. Thank you, Will Ferrell, for that reminder in case Democrats uh, needed one. And apparently they do. Because with an improving economy now, based largely on Barack Obama's previous policies, that would have almost certainly grown at this same rate, no matter uh, who had become the president over this past year. Will, will the American public fall for the tidal wave of propaganda that we're all about to receive crediting economic growth to Donald Trump and to the Republicans before the 2018 elections. And, for that matter, are many of them now or soon to become simply too exhausted by the daily and hourly excesses of the Trump administration, Donald Trump himself, and the barrage of news to even care anymore about any of this? Is there a danger that many Americans will simply tune out at this point and just tune out entirely over the next 10 months as Trump fatigue continues to truly set in? Have they already tuned out? We will discuss that and more next with Philadelphia's own Will Bunch right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. (laughs)
2: Nothing really matters, Nothing really matters to me. Hmm.
1: does anything really matter anymore? Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Matt Iglesias uh, from Vox.com tweeted recently, quote, <clears throat> The sheer volume of political news seems to stress people out. I feel like a lot of folks would be a lot happier with one newspaper in the morning and one 30-minute newscast in the evening. Well, I know I would, but uh, how much of the stress and anxiety and depression that so many of us are feeling right now is about the way so much of our news is now delivered via social media and iPhone alerts versus the content of the news itself? To be honest, it is hard to know. I have no clue myself. It's it's very hard. I, I, on a personal level, have kind of lost track, though I do spend a lot of time each day trying to figure that out, trying to separate the actual news, what's actually happening and what isn't actually happening, from the breathless, 24-7, nonstop way that it's now delivered. It's becoming increasingly difficult to tell, to be frank, and in truth, a lot of folks are likely just tuning out at this point. It is difficult to blame them, though, uh, no doubt that fatigue, that Trump fatigue, as Philadelphia Daily News columnist Will Bunch recently described it, is in, in itself a threat to our republic, as the ability to decipher what even matters from what doesn't matter becomes harder and harder to tell. Harder and harder to decipher. On some distant future date, Bunch wrote recently, when historians, if there still are historians, begin sifting through the smoking rubble and ashes of what was once American civilization, they'll probably pinpoint January 12, 2018 as a kind of turning point. The precise moment it should have become clear that something was fundamentally broken and no one knew how to fix it. That was the day, he writes, that the Wall Street Journal published a stunning article about the president of the United States that had the all too predictable effect of stunning absolutely no one. The newspaper reported in convincing detail that Donald Trump's lawyer had arranged a one hundred and thirty thousand dollar payment to a woman known, known as Stormy Daniels, star of adult film classics such as Goodwill Humping. In the final weeks of the 2016 campaign so that she'd keep quiet about her affair with the future president back in 2006 while his new wife, Melania, was expecting their only child. He says it seemed too ironic that this all happened as the world's journalists marked the 20th anniversary of the mother of all White House sex scandals, Bill Clinton's hookup with then intern Monica Lewinsky, which ultimately led to his impeachment, by the way, and trial for removal from office in the U.S. Senate. But in 2018, the public reaction to Trump's dalliance and more specifically the one hundred and thirty thousand dollars, which looks A lot like the mistress payoff by former Democratic presidential candidate John Edwards that led to his indictment. That can best be summed up by that popular Internet meme, the whatever guy, you know, that little character emoji of the guy sort of throwing his hands up in the air as if to say, who knows, whatever. That somewhat helpless feeling that I know many of us are now feeling each day was the basis of a Saturday Night Live sketch a week or so ago, as led by SNL host that night, actress Jessica Chastain.
0: And now it's time to play What Even Matters Anymore with your host, Veronica Elder. to What Even Matters Anymore, the show where I tell you something our president did or said, and you have to tell me, does it even matter anymore? (laughs) First question. (laughs) The president of the United States refers to African countries as poo-poo holes and says all Haitians have AIDS. Does it even matter anymore? The, uh, that's really bad. That, ha- that has to matter. Yes. Mmm, actually, it does not matter. <laughs> Zero consequences, and everyone just moves on. <laughs> Next, the president has an extramarital affair with a porn star right after his wife gives birth to a son. Then he pays the porn star to shut up. Does it even matter to say his evangelical base? Uh, to evangelicals, of course it matters. It, it's, it's against everything that they stand for. You'd think so, but no. They say he's just repented, and they forgive him, and Mike Pence is like, this my dude. (laughs) Next, the president fires Robert Mueller, the very man investigating him for treason. Does it even matter? Well, he hasn't done that yet. Yeah, but you know he's gonna, so when he does, will it even matter? I'm gonna say yes, that would
1: matter. That's a clear line that he'd be crossing.
0: Ooh so close you were right that it would cross a line but you were wrong to think that it would matter in the least (laughs) republicans would just shrug and mumble something about hillary's emails yeah but they have a conscience judges do they have a conscience sorry we checked and they don't
1: (laughs) (laughs) well funny Uh, sort of perhaps a bit too true a bit too close to home i suspect to really be too funny as Slate's Katie Waldman summed up in her own take on Trump fatigue setting in, quote, What's left to discuss when you've discussed everything and nothing has changed? Good question. Let's discuss that. Joining us now to do exactly that is the great Will Bunch, longtime Philadelphia Daily News columnist and senior writer and author of the long running Attitude blog at Philly.com which he describes as an uber-opinionated, fair, but dangerously unbalanced opinion blog. He's also authored three full-length books and three Amazon Kindle single ebooks, including 2015's The Burn Identity, A Search for Bernie Sanders, and The New American Dream. Will Bunch, welcome back to the broadcast, sir.
3: Oh, man, thanks for having me back. I'm thrilled. Thanks for having me. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, the, I, wish, I, wish it was, I wish it was under better circumstances, but uh, uh, I'm glad to be back. Yeah,
1: I know. I think we all wish that. <laughs> uh, listen, well, I yeah. was I was struck while uh, pondering your, your column today uh, on Trump fatigue and your description of 2018 as potentially, uh, as you put it, the year of whatevs, uh, that in truth, I I, I felt very similarly... During the George W. Bush years, in one sense, the sort of the the, you know the daily, if not hourly, at the time, uh, but the daily because we didn't have Twitter and Facebook back then, the barrage of scandal and wrongdoing was exhausting and incredibly anxious-making back then. And uh, making matters arguably worse, we were going through two very hot wars at the time. American bodies were coming right. back in coffins by the airplane load virtually every day. So you wrote uh, through and survived those years as well on the Attitude blog. How and why is, is this different from that, uh, or as you suggest, even worse? Well,
3: it, it, It's definitely different. Um, I, I don't know if it's worse yet. I think time will tell. I mean, I think... Um, I mean, the thing about Trump is we've seen these authoritarian tendencies, right? Or we've seen it play out this week with the way he's handling the FBI and the Justice Department and the way he handles the media, you know, calling them the enemy of the American people. I mean, these are all, you know, tendencies that can't help but make you think about, you know, the worst of, you know, the 1930s and some of the dictators that uh, swept through Europe in that era. And it's just kind of behavior. So that that I think is something that, uh, as horrible as George W. Bush was, we didn't see those things during those years. But as you point out, I mean, uh, in a sense, we saw something worse with Bush. Right, a war, uh, two wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one, one which you could debate, I guess, initially Afghanistan, uh, not that anybody expected it to go on for eighteen years, but uh, or seventeen or whatever. But well, um, well to
1: be fair, Bar- uh, Barbara Lee did as, as the one, the only yeah. member of Congress who voted against it right, for exactly yeah, that reason. Let's,
3: let's, give lot, let's give her a lot of praise. Right. But you know, I take your point. Right. But, but but I mean I mean the other war uh, in Iraq was you know completely uh, unnecessary, pointless, based on massive lying to the American people, and um, you know we have not had that from Trump yet. But I mean the thing is when when you look at the you know authoritarian or autocratic or whatever you want to call a playbook, and you look at the way that Trump has just followed this playbook to a T almost, you know, as much as he can. I mean, obviously. Uh, we're in a different century and in in a different country in America, and it plays out a little bit differently somehow. But he follows so much of these things, and you look at these um, authoritarian-type leaders, and they end up getting into wars. I mean, it's just common. So, um, you know, the fact that we haven't had a debacle like the Iraq War yet, uh, I just have no confidence that Trump will be able to steer clear from that. In fact, I believe um, uh, I've, I've been running around doing different things today, but I understand he made a comment today, about how, uh, you know, a a horrible event, you know, like a war or something that can unite the American people. And you you read that and you cringe and you wonder what's really going on in the back of his mind. So so I I mean, I I, so I think so I think the actuality of Trump after just one year, remember one year of hopefully just four or whatever, but we'll see that has been not as bad as the actuality of eight years of George W. Bush turned out to be. But I think I think the potential is just so much worse. And I think that just causes this anxiety. And then, uh, but also, you know, the fact that there's just people feel powerless to really change this course. Yeah. And that, that's, that was the Trump fatigue syndrome I'm writing about. Or uh, is my friend Jay Rosen, the NYU journalism mm-hmm. professor, uh, emailed me after the piece and said, said, yeah, I agree. He said, I'm calling it Trump futility, which is like, I wish I had thought mm-hmm. of that. Cause that's, I think that might even be a better term, you know, Trump futility, just, it, uh you know and, and and the other thing that's different, I think with Trump is just the news cycle you know it's so it's so accelerated, you know something that just seems so outrageous comes at you not even every day, but you know every six hours you know or yeah. every three hours yeah. some days you know and and you know and uh, when I wrote the piece, you know I, you know I wrote about the whole stormy Daniels thing, and not not because I think the stormy Daniels. Scandal, or whatever you want to call it, is the most important thing that's ever happened in U.S. history. But it's just a classic example of something that you know just would have been huge yeah. twenty years ago because we we know because it was huge twenty years ago because mm-hmm. something sort of similar, but arguably not as bad, you know, happened with Bill Clinton, and it dominated American life for a year and a half. And and when this Stormy Daniels thing happened, it dominated the news cycle for less than a day you know i mean it, yeah. it comes up every once in a while pops up but basically uh you know no one no one is calling for like a massive investigation of where this 130 thousand dollar payoff came from you know you know where the money go, the you know the other issues you know uh um mm-hmm. you know we uh the new york times had a story i believe this morning saying that uh you know M- melania trump is barely speaking to donald after this story came out which again would have been, you know, people would have been breathless about twenty years ago, oh, yeah. and now it's like, yeah, you know, really, okay. And it's it's so it's fatiguing, it's exhausting, and it makes it makes so many people just want to give up to not read the news, you know, not not call their congressman to protest the latest outrage that's going on, uh, or whatever. And as I wrote in my column, that's the danger. That's and again, that's the authoritarian playbook. That's what what has happened so many times and so many. Places around the world is people don't we've never had this experience really in the United States and you know ever, and so we don't really know what to expect. And, and a lot of times, you know, these authoritarian rulers they they kind of bore their people to death. They kind of numb them into submission, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, Trump's not that maybe that maybe the right term for Trump because he's probably I don't think he's really boring, but he no. is. But he, just the but just the repetitiveness of what he does, you know, the tweets at four in the morning and the you know the the, uh, the outrageous things, and then you know. Then Sarah Huckabee Sanders comes out and lies. To the people at two o'clock, and it's just every—it's that cycle every day that just. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, I, I'm getting exhausted. I'm getting exhausted now just talking about and, it. And I know? will yeah, and
1: I, and listen, I understand. I mean, because you know, we have to deal with this every day. Uh, the the tendency to want to sort of throw up your hands, like that whatever emoji guy, um, and and walk away <laughs> yes. because it seems so huge. You you describe in in that column uh, your experience at the recent Women's March. Uh, which drew about a million people, which is a lot of people, even if it's less than the four yeah. four million that it drew back in, in 2017. But you wrote, As generations of grandmoms and moms and daughters, some in strollers, rolled past. I also listened for the dog whistle that wasn't barking. No one, to my knowledge, among the five million at these two signature events of the resistance has been arrested. And then you ask, Is that a feature or a bug? If Trump is the threat to democratic norms and to the American experience that many of us believe him to be, where is an actual resistance that reflects the gravity of that threat with civil disobedience, for example, people willing to throw their bodies upon the gears? Um, You know, I I wonder if if that signifies in and of itself. Does that signify fatigue? Or has the situation just not yet reached that moment when it's time as... uh, as you're alluding to there, as Mar- uh, Mario Savio said in his uh, famous 1964 speech at Berkeley, that kicked off the free speech movement, that you've got to put your bodies upon the gears, upon the wheels, upon the levers, et cetera. That was the height of the civil rights movement. It was the end of decades of Jim Crow racism. The draft was going on. Where? Vietnam War was beginning to, uh, you know, to get very deadly. Are things just not bad enough yet in reality? For most Americans,
3: well, I, I, yeah, I think I think I think you're touching on a fascinating point. I mean, one thing you know, one thing I've seen over the course of my life, both as a very young person during that era, you know, watching that unfold, and now watching this era unfold, is um, Americans are not, are not by nature, you know, protesters in the sense, certainly not not uh, you know, violent or mm-hmm. resisting or you know, taking taking radical action type protesters. Unless, unless people feel an existential threat, and I think I think you saw such upheaval in the 1960s and early 1970s because um, those threats were kind of existential to people in the sense that uh, civil, you know, Jim Crow was just this intolerable situation, uh, segregation, and then Vietnam, particularly. I mean, gosh, you know, people on your street were, you know, kids kids on your street were going off and coming back six. Six months later, in a coffin, you know. I mean, uh, and, and, and that could have been you next, right? Mm-hmm. And so, nothing—nothing uh, nothing was more of an existential threat than Vietnam. And so, so the intensity of the Vietnam protests is something that we really haven't seen again um, since then. What, what interests me is with Trump—is when you look at the resistance. What's the backbone of the resistance after one year of Trump? Uh, it's it's women, uh, you know, and it's particularly—I don't know—certain kinds of women, you know, and and because I think. Um, you know, after, after the Access Hollywood incident mm-hmm. and just the knowledge that Trump is somebody who basically is a serial sexual predator mm-hmm. and he's in the White House. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think that comprises basically an existential threat. Uh, to. Women. I mean, it should be, I mean, I think it's terrible. It should be existential threat to all of us. I'm not writing that, but I think women feel it more in their veins, you know, than, than other people. And I think that's why you seen the resistance. So, you know, as Trump unfolds, Again, the question is going to be: Do people when you when you say when you say that Trump has authoritarian tendencies, you know that like he's being a dictator, the press, the enemies of the people, or when he fires Jim Comey or you know when he when he browbeats the FBI and is doing the things he's doing? I, I I think people aren't feeling that as an existential threat yet, and I think maybe that's part of the reason. You know, I mean, it's complicated. I think I think also we're, we have become a very complacent society. It's it's all it's it's, a, it's like any problem, it's not just one thing. I think it's layers of different things that come together. Yeah,
1: and the, because there's, a, there's there's another side to this, uh, Will Bunch. Uh, you know, as the women were marching, uh, Trump sort of Twitter trolled them uh, that day, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. by saying, great, beautiful weather all over our great country, a perfect day for all women to march get out there now to celebrate the historic milestone and unprecedented economic success and wealth creation that has taken place under my administration, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, He doesn't care if they march. Why should he? Uh, You know, they are no actual threat, it seems, to him, or at least he doesn't feel as if they are. And and that would, you know, so I'm wondering, you know, as long as you march and be peaceful, then uh, please, you know, right this way. I mean, the Occupy protests, I think, were very effective at the time because they scared the hell out of the establishment. Yeah. and, uh, And therefore, they were, frankly, militarily crushed. And that was under a Democratic president. So I'm, you know, sort of wondering... Uh, if these marches are largely, I don't want to say meaningless, but if they don't have, uh, you know, an effect to change policy, what kind of protest at this point well, I would change?
3: Yeah, I, I, I want to be, I I to tread very carefully. I, don't, I, I mean, the last thing I want to do is write them off. And in fact, um, I feel in some ways they've had a big impact. I mean, in other areas, I mean, I think the whole Me Too movement. I don't want to go off on a detour, but I think, I, I think the women's march and the connection between. Uh, you know, female empowerment and rising up against uh, sexual predators—not uh, just in Washington, but in Hollywood and everywhere else—is uh, a link. So, so I think it's a great movement. I think more power to It's just mm-hmm. when you call it the resistance and you and you frame it a certain way, it's not really all that. And I, I'm glad you mentioned Occupy and also also the other one is Black Lives Matters. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean those. I mean, I've I've been I've been now to. All three of those types of events, you know, I've been to. I spent time at Occupy, mm-hmm. and wrote a book about it. And uh, you know, Black Lives Matter. I've been to all of those things, and the first two were absolutely there was a sense of danger when you went to those protests, uh, for better or worse. And that was felt by the people who participated, and it was felt by the authorities. And, and they and they struck back in a way that they felt that this was, uh, you know, a threat to them. And um, uh, that that's not this movement. And you know, I mean. Some of it, I mean, uh, people are more threatening when they're young. I mean, the women's marches and and a lot of the so-called Trump resistance is not a young movement, and mm-hmm. maybe that is part of the lack of feeling of a threat. Um, I don't, I don't know, but um, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, I mean, the theory is, I mean, if you're um, if you're a true believer, and I, I have a lot of faith in these people, but I mean, they believe that uh, it's, it's going to take some time that we're going to mobilize for these midterm elections in November. We're going to elect a Democratic House anyway. I don't know what's going to happen in the Senate. Uh, and a Democratic House can impeach Trump. Of course, that, that's impeaching isn't, isn't the same as removing, but it's right. something. Uh, you know, it can do other things. It can it certainly can prevent legislation like this tax bill from passing, or, or mm-hmm. you know, preserve Obamacare. Um, that's not a revolution. It's something, though. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's something,
1: it, it, and you sound it, it, you 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 sound confident that the uh, Democrats will be able to take uh, take over the House. It seems like they should, given the way the system is rigged. Yes, rigged yeah, against I mean, them. I,
3: I, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I might have a, I might have a work perspective because I live in the, I live just outside of Philadelphia in an area that's absolutely going to. I mean, uh, I'd be willing to you know stake my tiny life fortune on three or four seats flipping just in this little
1: area alone. Mm-hmm. So No, so no, no I, doubt, I, I, but you're also in, in uh, Philadelphia and Pennsylvania where they just threw out the entire U.S. House map because it was so jerry-rigged uh, in the Republicans' favor. Uh, Will, I've got just a few minutes here, but I want to hit a, a couple of quick points before we get out. Um, media culpability. I, You know, I think the media are, by and large, doing a much better job than they were, at least compared to the George W. Bush years, but this... This obsession with the Russia investigation—you know—we need daylight to try to stave off the gaming of that process, as as you've referenced, uh, as we're seeing, you know, from Republicans in the Trump administration. But uh, can't be, can't the case be made that there is too much speculative coverage, and at the price of so much that is actually going on, and actually, yes, hurting a lot of people. Uh and not to mention the environment, uh in, in real time. Are,
3: yeah. are they I mean, failing I, again? I, 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 oh yeah. Absolutely. I mean I keep coming I keep coming back again in my column I keep coming back again and again to two things and they're and they're not the only two things, but they're two things, uh the environment which you just mentioned and immigration, um mm-hmm. are just two areas where it's not like we're waiting for Trump to do something. I mean those catastrophes are happening right now, you know. Uh you know, the the lack of action on climate change and and, and the uh, undoing of regulations to help the worst polluters, dirty coal, whatever those that's already happened. You know that that that's a that's a that's a that's a mm-hmm. abusive catastrophe that's already happened under Trump. And then um, and uh, my my uh, actually um, my next column after the after the. Um, after the one we're talking about about trump fatigue was about uh the human rights catastrophe of ice and the border patrol and the way that they're carrying out deportations they're arresting activists um um you know they're targeting activists like this this guy in new york city and and also uh, Mm uh a group a group on the border in arizona that puts out water for people and they're arresting those people and i mean it's just um you know, I mean, it's you know, it's I mean, cruel. It's,
1: really it's cruel. And yet, uh, you know, and needs to uh, have coverage. And yet the media 24 seven, particularly on the cable channels, is just all about the politics, not about the people, not about people who are actually getting harmed. Uh, well, that's, that's what I that's yeah. what I
3: yeah, uh, yeah, that's what I, talk about. I mean, these are, you know, these are individuals, right? They're isolated cases. Mm-hmm. But you have to do the math. You have to add it up. It's a pattern. It's a pattern of human rights. Cases. It's horrible.
1: Finally here, uh, I I don't want to let the Democrats themselves uh, get out of this one. They've got some culpability here, it seems. Uh, Specifically, their lack, I would say their lack of accountability after the George W. Bush administration, which arguably gave rise to Donald J. Trump. Uh, You know, nobody from the Bush regime went to jail for any war crimes. No bankers went to jail after, you know, they tanked the economy. So um, they were free then to do it again. So can a case be made that Democrats and thus, I guess, we the people need to, you know, that they need to be held accountable first before we can get real change in the nation's trajectory? I'm afraid that we're going to see the same thing. Republicans, I'm sorry, Democrats may win the House and they still won't want to bring accountability because they're going to be uh, worried about, oh, let's first let's get the White House in 2020. I feel like I've seen that movie before, Will.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is going to. We'll see how this plays out in the next couple months because, um, you know, in in a lot of these congressional races, uh, there's there's so much enthusiasm and activity that you're seeing primaries that are pitting grassroots people and a lot of people who are, you know, veterans of the Bernie Sanders movement who want to bring real change, you know, whether it's universal health care, universal college, um, uh, you know, fifteen dollars or higher minimum wage, all of those things, and um, you're going to see them running against kind of the more establishment democrats that that you and I both you mm-hmm. know shake our heads at uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of races and I think this spring and summer you'll see who wins these primaries I'm I'm got my fingers crossed that a good number of these grassroots people given given the mood out there uh will do well because uh if if it's the current party establishment uh just rolled in right now and took over it wouldn't be enough change that this country needs you know no, there would you know, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, so much more is needed. You know, I mean, and I'm so glad you mentioned accountability. I mean, I, I had one chance in my lifetime uh, during the 2008 campaign to ask a question directly to Barack Obama, and that's what I asked him. I asked him, "Are you going to hold the people uh, who were involved in torture accountable?" And he kind of said, "Sort of yes, but maybe," and. Um, <laughs> uh he did nothing and that was just one of the biggest disappointments of of the 8 years the uh, last 9 years you know that, yeah. that that nothing was done and uh and it set the stage for for bad things that are happening right now under Trump because we did nothing
1: Right. And I hope that uh, if Democrats do take power uh, as, of some sort again, uh, that they won't make that same mistake again. But they're Democrats, so we'll see. Uh, I'm not that hopeful. <laughs> we will, will see. Will Bunch, I got to get out. Uh, thank but, you, my friend. Really appreciate you taking time right, today. Brad, thank you
3: so much. It was always, it's always good. I really appreciate it. Thank you
1: so much. You bet. Thank you, sir. You can find Will's work at Philly.com and you can follow him on the Twitters at Will underscore bunch all right quick break and we're back with our latest green news report i'm brad friedman don't touch that dial hey this is brad do you enjoy your non-corporatized commercial free broadcast yeah me too but we need your help to stay that way Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. Welcome back. To the broadcast, Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com. Desi Doyen, are you fighting uh, Trump fatigue, Trump futility, as Will Bunch describes it?
2: Oh, my, yes. And I'm glad that he pointed out the culpability of the corporate media in all of this. When they don't report on stuff, people don't think about it or fight against it.
1: And I'm glad uh, that he pointed out the uh, the fact, the, the effect, the real time, real life effect that it's having, not just on immigrants, but on the environment. This is not a. Uh, Uh, You know, something that may happen. This is something that is happening under Donald J. Trump. Yep. Which, of course, brings us to our latest Green News report. Do you believe in climate change?
2: Debunking President Trump's latest lies and disinformation on climate science. The
3: United States is not just exporting energy. We're exporting freedom.
2: The U.S. is now importing less oil than ever before, thanks to Obama EPA reversal on Pebble Mine is qualified good news for Alaska. Plus, while
1: the main impetus for this year's forward movement of the clock was the perilous nuclear situation, climate change very much remains a serious and worsening threat.
2: Thanks to Trump, the doomsday clock has now been moved up to two minutes to midnight. Thanks,
1: Trump. All of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And
2: I'm Desi Doyan.
1: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Uh, There is a cooling and there's a heating. Oh, Jesus. God in heaven. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, the President of the United States, went on British TV and made a complete jackass out of himself and these United States.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes, he did. In a semi-coherent interview on Sunday with Piers Morgan for Britain's ITV, Trump exposed his complete ignorance of climate science and U.S. climate policies. You could see his mind reaching to remember what he's been told by Fox News as he lied about how the term climate change was coined, lied about the melting ice caps, and exposed his ignorance on science, which would be comical if it weren't so dangerous. Do you believe in climate change? Do
3: you think it exists? I there is a cooling and there's a heating. I mean, look, it used to not be climate change, it used to be global warming. Right. right? Uh, the ice caps were going to melt, they were going to be gone by now, but now they're setting records, okay? They're at a record level.
2: Okay, so the ice caps are setting records, but it's for melting. According to NASA, sea ice at both poles hit record lows last year. That's both the Arctic and the Antarctic. And it's been called climate change for more than a century. You
1: mean they didn't just come up with that because global warming was no longer working?
2: <laughs> no, certainly not. And NASA, just over a week ago, announced that 2017 was the second hottest year ever recorded so no the non-stop upward temperature trend for the planet that has been going on for decades continues well
1: who listens to him he's only the president of the united states
2: and i just want to note for the record that corporate media needs to stop fixating on whether republican politicians believe in climate change and they need to start asking what they plan to do about it Good point. Meanwhile, some good news for Alaskans. In a surprise reversal late Friday, the Trump Environmental Protection Agency announced that it will restore Obama-era restrictions blocking the controversial proposed pebble mine, what? A, a massive copper and gold mine that the Obama EPA had determined would irreparably harm the pristine Bristol Bay watershed, home to the world's largest salmon fishery. However, Think Progress reports that EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt did not outright ban the proposed mine. Instead, Pruitt's statement says, quote, the decision neither deters nor derails the application process of the Pebble Partners' proposed project.
1: So here we're trying to give some credit for something to Scott Pruitt at the EPA... can't even do that, huh?
2: Unfortunately, no. Alaska, however, may get an exemption from the Trump administration's plan to expand offshore drilling. That's because the state's Republican senators and Republican House Representative have asked Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke to remove much of Alaska's waters from the offshore expansion, similar to how Florida's Republican Governor Rick Scott asked for Florida to be excused. Funny
1: how that happens.
2: Meanwhile, the U.S. is importing less oil than ever before. Net imports of crude oil products into the United States has dropped to the lowest level on record since 1973. And according to U.S. Energy Secretary Rick Perry at the World Economic Forum in Davos,
3: We are now the number one oil and gas producing
2: nation on the face of the earth. That's thanks to the surge in domestic shale oil production begun under the Obama administration. The Trump administration is pushing the world now to use more oil and export even more of our climate disaster to the world. Directly contradicting to climate scientists' warnings that we must get to net zero carbon emissions as soon as possible to avoid catastrophic impact. Well,
3: dear... Is a cooling and there's a heating.
2: (laughs) Which brings us to the doomsday clock, the iconic symbol that represents the likelihood of man-made global catastrophe, which last week the scientists at the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists moved up to two minutes to midnight for the first time since 1953. In doing so, the Bulletin scientists condemned not only President Trump's aggressive rhetoric on nuclear weapons and North Korea, But climate scientist Sivan Kartha, a member of the bulletin's board, also put the blame squarely on Donald Trump's rollback of U.S. climate policies. And of course, he also formally declared his intention to withdraw from the Paris Climate Agreement. In other words, the U.S. president has done his best to follow through on his stated intention of derailing U.S. climate action.
1: Promises made, promises kept. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyon. And this has been your Green News Report.
2: After midnight, we're gonna let it all hang down. Yeah. Let's hope we uh,
1: don't wait until after midnight before we figure out how to get the hell out of this mess.
2: Indeed.
1: Uh, all right. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. My uh, Thanks to my guest today, Will Bunch of Philadelphia Daily News and the Attitude Blog. Thank you, Will, uh, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. We also ask you to please consider stopping by bradblog.com slash donate Uh, We need your support. We thank you for those uh, who have stopped by to support us at bradblog.com slash donate. We don't rely on corporate funding. We don't uh, rely on political funding. We rely on you to stay independent and to, um, well, stay on your public airwaves to tell you the truth when the rest of the media is are dropping the ball. Don't get fatigued. <laughs> Don't succumb to Trump fatigue. Alright, uh, you can drop me email if you like. I am Bradcast at Bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the BradBlog. That is it. Until we meet again, we will be back with our State of the Union coverage postgame analysis. Fact checking and everything else on the next broadcast. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.